0: I want you to imagine something for a moment. Picture something that we just don't have right now. I want you to picture an interconnected healthcare system where knowledge is accessible everywhere, where patients, consumers, or us, we're truly all centric to our health. Imagine a healthcare system where all the data that's collected is actually used to provide actionable insights and a future where patients are treated uniquely as people what would happen? Better health outcomes? Efficiency gains? Better customer experience? Well, my guest today, Dr. Tal Rapke, he's focused on this vision of a new patient-centric future of healthcare, making it intuitive and patient-focused. In this episode, we're gonna talk about patient-centricity, innovation and regulation in Australia, healthcare in the USA, and a lot more. Let's make it happen, Team Health Tech. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Burge, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. With me today is Dr. Tal Rapke. He's a trained physician with over 20 years of health experience. He's the CEO and founder of ScalaMed, who's helping patients find easier ways to take control over their prescriptions from any app.
1: Hey, Tal, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for the opportunity to chat.
0: Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. You're not too far away, but we're virtual. You're in Sydney.
1: Yeah, currently in Sydney. I work kind of dodgy hours because we focus on the US market at the moment, but it's great to speak to you on this, on this fine day.
0: Thank you for making it not a dodgy time to talk during business hours. So that's fantastic. So <laughs> really keen to get in and learn a bit more about you and your background. I mean, you've gone from big pharma to digital health startup. Tell us about your background and how you've wound up doing what you're doing.
1: I started my career actually as a physician working in hospitals out of Melbourne and didn't actually quite find the right medical specialty practice for myself. At the time, I remember finding healthcare or being a physician quite algorithmic, not as creative as I wanted. So I decided to move overseas and tap into the digital health world based out of New York, which was a bit of a dream to move over there and spent my first years working for a young tech startup um, that eventually exited, at, that was based in New York, where we syndicated health content on the web. So we're kind of the Reuters of the healthcare world. We had some of the largest monthly unique visitors, and post that, spent a few years in management consulting before moving into pharmaceuticals, where I spent seven years based out of Australia in various roles, my most recent being the innovation director at Sanofi.
0: Excellent. And so now you're doing ScalaMed, though. So tell us a bit about that. What's that about? Who's it for? And what problems it solves
1: yeah, I think throughout my career, I've been really focused and I'm curious about the experience of patients in healthcare, because I think we spend a lot of time in health building the right solutions for physicians to practice better, we've built great solutions for the hospital systems to get more efficient and to be able to create better impact on their patients. And the missing ingredient, I think, is in healthcare has been the patient. And so throughout my career, I've been really trying to think through how do we take patients from the periphery of the healthcare journey and bring them back into the centre, Discarment is kind of an iteration of that dream to find a way in. And our belief with healthcare is that if you want to help patients with their health, you actually find something that they're already doing and make it much easier. The most frequent healthcare transaction or the most frequent interaction that a patient has with health is a prescription. Because it's the most frequent thing that people do. Patients on average see a doctor two and a half times a year but they deal with their prescriptions 18 times a year. So it's just a frequent thing that we have to do. And currently, it just involves going to a pharmacy, involves hassling your doctor for new repeats. And so we thought there's a better way to do this, and that's essentially Scalamed. We actually are not currently majorly focused on the Australian market for some regulatory reasons, although that is changing. And with really the business being focused on the US. And so I guess our business is there. There are 318,000 healthcare apps on the App Store in the US, which is a revolting number. And for the most part, those companies are really struggling to engage patients. And so Scalamed is essentially a way for any doctor to send a prescription electronically to a patient's phone, where we make a prescription smart with pricing, price comparisons, alerts, warning, education, essentially layering the prescription in all the tools that a patient requires to make a wise medication decision. And then from the patient's phone, they can send it to any pharmacy they want across the U.S. market. And we actually license our platform. As an embeddable API or embeddable web-based interface that can actually sit inside any third-party app. So if you think about it like Google Maps, Google Maps sits in hundreds and hundreds of your apps on the phone, ScalaMed similarly is a prescription management tool that can sit inside any app. Think about it sitting inside the Medibank private app or inside your um, hospital app or inside your doctor's practices app so that patients can actually access their prescriptions inside these companies' digital orbit and while they're there, it offers our customers the opportunity to support them, to nudge them, to educate them, to offer them additional services, but essentially to be able to support them to drive towards a better health outcome.
0: Very cool. And so you mentioned that you're focused mostly on the US because of some regulatory reasons in Australia that are changing. Tell us a little bit more about that and those differences for those that aren't fully across it.
1: When we started scub I actually started scub while on sabbatical, um, actually based in Israel. And it was an eye So when I was actually the innovation at Fe in Australia, I also came across this a lot where the U.S. market is about 50 times larger than the Australian market. And so even though healthcare tends to be quite regional in its practice, especially when you're thinking digital, if you compare a company that's based in Australia, just focusing on the Australian market versus one in the U.S., in the U.S., their marketing budget or your budget is 50 times larger because that's the size of the market. And so we always knew that if you want to create a successful digital health company, The U.S. is 52% of the global healthcare market. Simply, it's just a, a very large market. In Australia, there are limits. There's two to three, maybe four or five practice software. In the U.S., there's probably 100. In Australia, in every city, there's two or three or maybe four or five major hospital systems. In the U.S., again, you take that and you just multiply it by the factor of the country. So we started in Australia and actually came up quickly against the regulations that were government. At the time, we wanted to move towards a digital prescription in Australia, And back in 2017, the regulations still required all prescriptions to be on paper. COVID saw a quick adjustment to that. But we at the time in 2017-18 put in a number of requests to be able to run some clinical trials that we actually had ethics approval for. And we just kept coming up against the big fat, no, not interested in innovation in this space. And so frustratingly, we realized if we really wanted to make this happen, we had to take it across the U.S. market. We were initially based at the Texas Medical Center out of Houston. Now I've got a partnership with the Mayo Clinic. So it's excited to move through various healthcare systems in the US, which has been yeah, a super exciting journey.
0: Yeah. And what about, because we've got a lot of Australian health tech founders here operating and would picture maybe establishing themselves in Australia first. And then if they ever wanted to scale globally, they'd go to the US. But is there a future for a health tech company that just wanted to remain in Australia and operate within our?
1: There's some fabulous examples of successful companies in Australia, and they're doing an amazing job. So big respect to them. I just think there are also many digital health companies that can make an okay business here. But to really make a growth business, you've really got to be focused overseas. And it doesn't have to be the US market. There's Asia at our front door. There's a lot of opportunities globally. It's just the size of the market beyond our doorstep is really immense. And I think we also get a little bit lulled because Australia, we think, oh, it's kind of big, but it's sometimes just not big enough when you do the math on creating a business here it's sometimes just hard to make it a true success i do believe that any successful company it's great to make australia a great test ground there's amazing innovative minds here it's a great ecosystem there's a lot of incredibly intelligent people but the plans of any good startup i believe if you really want to scale um, must include some overseas plans as quickly as possible
0: I'm interested on that point too around regulation. For those that have checked out the show for a while, they know my stance around the need for Australia to have a better approach to innovation and the fact that we've got that in-between size of a country, like you say, where we're kind of big, but we're not quite big, but we're also very good at creating the innovation at a very early stage, but then often you find that middle bit where it's about commercializing and scaling. It's not so much about the individuals or the founders not having the capability or the people or whatever to be able to do it. It's the regulatory frameworks or the barriers and the red flags get thrown up. So from your perspective, would ScalaMed have been more Australian-focused if those kind of issues of regulatory that you faced back in 2017 have not been around? Or do you think that then now with COVID creating some of these openings that that would bring you to be more Australian-focused or are you just continuing on this path?
1: Yeah, look, it's a good question. Hindsight's always a wonderful thing. But I think the right decision for us has always been to go to the US market. I think it would have been awesome to have been able to succeed also in Australia, but regulations just kept coming up against us and the timelines for things that were meant to happen we're over 12 to 18 months delayed here, and that just would have put our business at risk. There are many examples of startups who the regulations do tend to change at various times, and a couple of startups whose regulatory change in healthcare simply meant the end of their business. So I think it's just something that we all need to be careful of. I think regulations are good. I actually love regulations in healthcare. They're actually a nice barrier for entry. It makes others scared of the area, and I think if you can work through them appropriately, I think it's great i think the bigger problem here is we have government as the major payer in many parts of the healthcare universe and they're just slow we had an experience where we actually went to pitch to new south wales health and at the time we were part of an ibm acceleration program where they support startups and i said to these New south wales health in this meeting here's us and we've also got this partner ibm at the time and they're like oh great, well, we can't really work with you because you're the startup. But if, if you come back with IBM, we will be able to do business. And we actually heard a couple of examples like this where the contract eventually falls to the people who are actually doing the work, the startup, or the emerging company. And yet you need to be big brothered in by a large corporate. In the UK, I believe there's some legislation which require 10 to 20% of all government spend to be spent on SMEs, to so small and medium enterprises. But we don't have that yet in Australia. There's an old adage that no one ever gets fired for hiring IBM. I think someone did, though, when there was a census um, screw-up. But no one does get fired for hiring these large corporates because it's seen as a safe pair of hands. And so I understand why there's hesitancy around startups. But the framework for how do we actually help startups succeed is a challenge. And I do believe we have the intelligence, the capability, and the capacity to actually create digital health tools that we can take to the world from Australia. We just don't yet have the ecosystem, the willingness of government to play ball yet to enable that to happen.
0: Yeah, totally. And then so thinking around when you've gone into the US and you've had those success, you obviously know the Australian system really well. For those that understand the maths of the scale of the US, but not the navigating that process, how did you go in and actually establish a presence in the US and start scaling from there?
1: Our journey, which I thought was quite a good one, we launched a first pilot here in Sydney, Australia. And actually on the day of the first pilot or two days later i was in the us in houston i'm um, part of the texas medical center the tmcx that so this biobridge program with australia but essentially it's an accelerated program And i think going in through a front door of some accelerated program that's focused on digital health like a Techstars or like a tmcx or a Mayo clinic finding like a partner that can open doors for you i think is incredibly useful We had small things which really helped us course correct. Like we shorten words in Australia. Those are not shortened in the same way in the US market. So just small things being able to, my front slide said scripts, you know, get your scripts or whatever the wording was. And someone's like, ah, we did not use the word scripts. We use the word prescription. We don't shorten that. So, you know, just small things that having someone to hold your hands and moved from not having a large network in the US, even though I'd worked there previously, to being able to grow that network, to having thousands of LinkedIn contacts, being able to get warm introductions and getting warm introductions into the right places really is incredibly useful to be able to open doors. Now healthcare sales doesn't matter where you are in the world, are long, laborious, but having people who can introduce you, break through that first email contact, I think is incredibly useful. So I definitely encourage people to find those entry points. I think they're really valuable. The other way is obviously finding partners in the US who can help you distribute, but I think doing it yourself is also quite fun.
0: Mm. Now that came up in a recent Share What You Know session within the Talking Health Tech community. It was around investments, but the same concept of, I think it was Warwick from Neutromics was saying that that's how they've kind of built up their network is definitely those warm intros is critical. So without that, it can be flying in the dark. That's really good advice. Changing tracks a little bit. I feel like sometimes there's a lot of cliche terms that are thrown around in healthcare, which instantly make people call shenanigans or become really skeptical. And one of those terms is patient centricity. And it's been thrown around a lot, but it's a super important concept. So what does patient centricity actually mean to you?
1: It's interesting. When I started getting into this kind of space of patient centricity, I was actually working at Sanofi and my role there as medical director and innovation director was someone you know, was thrown a project to say, how do we rethink about the customer? And I think in pharmaceuticals, at least, we always thought our customer was the doctor because at the end of the day, they're the ones who make the selection to prescribe. And in Australia, because of our regulatory space, pharmaceuticals were never able to advertise or directly communicate to patients because it was just saying you couldn't promote drugs to patients. I actually started this project to look at what does Patients Interested look like for us as a company. And it was interesting. I went and interviewed 150 people across the organization to understand what he meant for them. And people would often say, yeah, I'm completely patient centric. I have an amazing drug that we sell to doctors, but I really believe that it's fantastic for the patient. And my kind of not feedback, but what I would question them is say, well, do you think that's a product centric approach? Even though your product is fabulous for patients, is that a product centric or a consumer centric approach? And so what we did to shake things up is we actually, as part of our national conference, A team that I led, we said, well, what if we could bring in a patient and just sit a patient down, a human, a person, and they sit down at a table of 10 people and just tell their story. What it's like to wake up in the morning with diabetes. What it is to think about the food and get a blood test result, or prick their finger and see what the result is and how that makes them feel. What it's like when they go to the shopping mall and the pool that they feel when they're trying to decide which food's the right food. What it feels like when they take a bit too much medicine or not enough when they run out and have to run to the pharmacy. What is it to live with an issue, with a health issue? And just ask people to listen. And I think patient centricity is truly about turning things around and trying to sit in a human's shoes and truly understand what that experience is like to live your life. Because healthcare for many of us is quite painful when it becomes the forefront of our existence. We want to live full lives without thinking about health. We want to be free from that. And so when it does come and it is omnipresent, it's something that... It's scary. It makes people feel vulnerable. It makes people want to reach out for help. It makes people feel quite useless and out of control. And so they're the factors and that emotion are the things that we really try and tap into. So when I think about patient centricity, I truly think about something that is great for the person first. What is something that truly addresses a need that we have as an individual? And then from then trying to maybe work out how do we create solutions for those particular issues that people have? I think a lot of us, when we come from a product-centric world or an enterprise-centric solution, we think about, wow, we've got this great shop, we've got this great pharmacy, we've got this great product, we've got this great technology. How do we retrofit it into the patient's need? And I think true patient-centricity is actually thinking it in a reverse way. It's probably not a great definition, but there is a great definition in the WHO that was created in 1948. I'm going to bastardize it and get it wrong. But when I think about a definition of health and what it means, I really Aligned line to that one. I guess it's more a definition of health rather than patient centricity. It's something along the lines of it's addressing someone's social, economic, and health needs all in one. I got it completely wrong, but but if, but I do. No, you know, I know. I, yeah, I do ask you to take a look at it. It's very well formulated. And to me, that really encompasses what health means for me.
0: I'll put the link for that. I know the definition you're talking of because it is a good definition. I'll put the link for that in the show notes of this episode. People can click on and have a look at too. I do want to go into more about patient centricity, but I'm going to hold on that for a second because I know you're talking on a panel session about that very topic at the Talking Health Tech Winter Summit on the 24th of June. So THD Plus members can come along and check that out. And hear you speak more about that with other people as well. I wanted to learn a bit more about your experience with Sanofi as well, or just generally within that space around the pharmaceutical space and big pharma and moving into startup world. Some of those learnings or experiences you've taken from that that might help others from what you've seen or that approach. What do you apply from working within the larger enterprise side of things, bringing it into the startup space?
1: I think the experience of working in the large corporate is invaluable. You learn what large corporates are really good at. And then you also see what they're actually not so capable of. And so a lot of our opportunities, even with startup, we've been introduced to large, very, very large corporates, some of the biggest in the US. And coming from a large background like a Sanofi experience, you can understand how difficult it is for a large corporate to get their heads around a startup, what they can do with it, how they would engage with it. And so I think you see a lot of naivety and a lot of startups that I met through their journeys, just not having had experience within a large corporate didn't really understand what it takes to get them over the line, what a procurement process is, how do you make decisions in a large corporate, what are they actually buying or consuming their capabilities, where they start and stop. It's difficult to go into all the details of that, but I think there is definite value in people's career in spending some time in a large corporate because you get to see how they think and breathe. And for us, it's been really good because there have been opportunities which simply we just haven't pursued because based on my limited experience, but based on my experience, I saw that it could just consume a lot of time and the outcome would still be 24 to 36 months away and for a startup the aim is to move quickly to be able to create some runs on the board and large corporates are not always the best landing place for a startup to begin their journey that said healthcare in the us is incredibly corporatized there is increasing consolidation because of the way that the healthcare bureaucracy is set up over there and so it's difficult to avoid them but trying to find the right entry point, I think, is really, really important. My time at Snowflake was great. I mean, I love the opportunity to work on global projects, work on projects across Asia, France, Europe, the US. And so being part of a large organization gives you really access to the globe, create an incredible network for me personally of some amazing individuals who stayed at Snowflake or gone on to other large companies or even startups. And so it was a great stepping stone for the more commercial part of my career.
0: Coming from larger organizations myself into startup world and speaking to people early in their careers or actually at any point in their career, to be honest, where they certainly feel passionate about creating something themselves or being part of something fast moving, but an opportunity comes up to work within a larger organization and they wonder whether that would take them on the wrong path or not be as fulfilling. But the amount of learnings and experiences and network, like you say, can be invaluable from that. So it's definitely a piece of the puzzle that needs to be filled for everyone at some point, I think.
1: I will put one proviso on that. Today, I probably won't be hiring anyone from a large corporate because I do believe that who's only been working at a large company, because there's something about the requirement for a startup that to roll up your sleeves and dig really, really deep into the detail and to getting stuff done in a way that large companies simply just cannot move. And some of the skill set of that kind of that mongrel or that kind of streetwise smart of being able to push hard, take shortcuts, do things that a large corporate could not do because of their regulatory and structure, I think we can do in startup land and we can ask for forgiveness, not permission. It's a much more difficult to do that in a large corporate. And I think some people come out of large companies have spent, especially as they come up, go up the corporate ladder, they increasingly spend more and more of their time internally focused on pitches on getting budgets etc rather than on actually creating value and clearly it creates value but it's definitely more internally focused and i think for a startup that is only externally focused that is it's all about how do you create magic and value in the marketplace people who come from large corporates i feel like they've lost some of that skill set to get stuff done so i just encourage people to think about how to gain those skills again because they're latent but they do need to get reestablished to be successful in the startup
0: I'm so glad you raised that. That's such a valid point and something I've experienced as well in my own recruiting experiences within startup or with those that are only focused on We've only had experience in enterprise land. So thank you for raising that. Hey, it would be remiss of me not to bring up something that hasn't come up at all in this conversation yet, but in speaking with you, Tal, and that's blockchain. You were the founder of the Australian Healthcare and Blockchain Group. Tell us a bit more about that firstly.
1: Yes, look, when I started Scalamed, I actually became really fascinated at the time with blockchain. And so Scalamed actually started as a blockchain company where we actually took prescriptions. We put them on the blockchain in the earlier days of blockchain back in 2017. And we utilized that as a secure way to be able to transmit a unique prescription that could not be copied, could not be counterfeited. There was only one of that existed and it could be sent directly from any doctor to a patient on their phone with a incredible security and inability to be able to take a digital prescription and send it twice. So if you think about if a doctor sends you, as we did during COVID, a PDF of a prescription, in theory, you can take that PDF and make a 1,000 copies of it, and no one's none the wiser. And you can go and pick up that prescription in 1,000 different pharmacies, and that's potentially dangerous or you can have issues with that. So with Scala initially, we started with this idea of what if you could keep, create a, a unique digital asset, which is kind of what blockchain solves the problem for, transmit that to a patient, enable them to hold it and then enable them to send that onto a pharmacy. And everyone along that chain knows there was only one prescription ever. And on the back of that, became really fascinated with the idea that blockchain is a really interesting solution for many, many problems in society and could potentially be leveraged in many parts of healthcare. So I started a blockchain healthcare group, we probably had a few thousand people came through our monthly meetings and it was a chance for us to create a bit of noise around Scalament and a bit of thought leadership in this space and also a chance to really meet some amazing developers and amazing people doing some really cool things in the blockchain space. As Scalament got more and more busy and we headed in a slightly different direction without the technology, I entered that particular group, but others have taken on the lead and continue going down that path, which is great. In terms of blockchain healthcare, which I think is probably what you're going to get into next, is you know, <laughs> yeah, what is the future for blockchain healthcare? And I think at the end of the day, blockchain is like any other technology. I liken it to sort of, there's a hammer and a screw, right? So if you've got a screw to put into the wall, a hammer is the wrong tool for it. You need a screwdriver. And so at the end of the day, the question is, what's the problem that you're trying to solve? And if the problem that you're trying to solve requires some form of authentication, some form of anonymity, potentially some form of unique digital assets that need to be moved across, then potentially blockchain could play a really, really amazing role for that. And if not, then just being a blockchain company by itself doesn't actually bring a lot of value. One of the things that we found is we had this blockchain solution and when we went out to the market and said, look, we have not just normal security, but this amazing extra layer of security, we found that people were like, "Eh, I kind of trust your old security because that's how everything else in healthcare is. And so we recognized that what we thought was a value add and helping solve a problem wasn't necessarily something that people were prepared to pay for. And therefore, even though we have it built and we can bring it to life when necessary, it's not something that we've necessarily pushed hard in the market because it didn't create the value or solve a problem for our customers that they wanted solving. And so I think I'd encourage anyone, when they think about any solution, that these technologies are phenomenal. They're going to be I truly bullish on blockchain. I think it's going to be the future. But I'm also conscious that you've got to find the right use case for the right problem. And if a centralized database can work just as effectively, then potentially that might be the way to go. It's often cheaper and it's often more scalable than blockchain, which is still a toddler. If you think about it in its maturity of years, it's no longer a baby, it's probably still a toddler, but it's still banging into things and walking a little bit clumsily. We're not yet a teenager. We're not yet really ready for every part of it to be mainstream. And I think healthcare clearly is going to be a slow adopter of this technology rather than some of the first ones to want to move in this space.
0: And me as certainly an interested enthusiast, by far any kind of expert on the topic, but when I think about blockchain in healthcare, There's two aspects that come to mind immediately, one around the security aspect of it, the benefit that that might bring for those, but you raised a very valid point around there's a lot of security already around healthcare, which is generally well accepted. Then there's the other side of things, which is the concept of interoperability and the whole issue around information not being easily consumed by different systems and everything. Does blockchain ever play a piece in solving some of those issues around interoperability in healthcare, do you think?
1: Interoperability is, I guess, a bigger topic, but I'm not sure that blockchain creates an interoperable system. At the end of the day, interoperability has got to come back to standards. Fire and is the standard now globally. Listeners may not know, but the US, as of the 5th of May of this year, required every single payer and hospital system in the US to have fire based interfaces, APIs, that any patient can tap into and request their own digital health record to be sent to them as of July the 1st. There's a same mandate for price transparency for every patient to be able to get full price transparency on what healthcare is going to cost them, and the standard has been FHIR. And the mandates around that are fantastic. For all his flaws, Trump in healthcare, I think, did a fantastic job, not in the COVID side of things, but in definitely in the interoperability, in the incentives, and in the penalties for organisations who have not opened up their systems. So your EPICs, your Cerner's, every single system in the US has now API endpoints and will be penalized if patients get that. And our belief, which is where we came from ScalaMed, is the only person in common at the GP, the pharmacy, the specialist, the hospital, is the patient. And it really makes sense that interoperability needs to revolve around the patient in a truly patient-centric way because having this idea that your data is moving between these various nodes without you being the carrier pigeon makes no sense in a world where humans are increasingly digitally capable. And so the same way we carry out bank details and we have them on our phone, the same way we engage with everything else digitally, we carry out boarding passes and everything else. It makes sense that our healthcare is a central part of that. And, If we talk about interoperability, sure, blockchain can play a part in some of the permissions and being able to understand who's utilising it, who's accessing healthcare. But that can also be done in centralised repositories, in centralised ways as well. But it also does require some form of government push to really mandate this approach. And the idea that our healthcare data is locked away in GP software or specialist software or written on paper notes is frankly appalling that we as patients don't have full access and control over that in Australia. And I think as a community, we should all be pushing incredibly hard for the liberation of that data.
0: Totally agree with you, Tao. Look, lastly, to close things out, just back to ScalaMed for a minute, what can we look forward to coming from you guys over the coming months and years?
1: Look, at the end of the day, I'd love just to end my career in healthcare and know that I've put a dent in healthcare, that I've made it a little bit simpler for a patient to manage their health being a carer, being a dad and seeing some of the pain that healthcare falls on people and having experienced as a physician, I think anything we can do to make someone's life just a little bit simpler, a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more supportive and a little bit cheaper, I think is where healthcare needs to go. And so for us at ScalaMed, we're heading in that direction. We would love to be able to make a huge impact in healthcare around the world. We'd love to have an impact here in Australia. And we're starting some conversations with some partners here as well to explore what that would look like. And we really believe that if you can harness a prescription effectively, and you can actually put a prescription on a patient's phone, you create a really interesting gateway or access point to be able to support a patient in the most frequent thing that they do in healthcare. And for us, That entry point is just the entry point. We want to be able to affect every part of a patient's life and truly be able to support people to live more fulfilling lives. Where Healthcare is something that they do, but it doesn't have to be a big part of the journey in every day. And so, yeah, if I can go and look back at my career and say that, wow, look at that dent that we put in healthcare. Look at what we did to make it a little bit more patient centric, um, a little bit more, a little bit smarter. I think I'll be proud of my journey. That's a great
0: vision, Tal. Thank you so much for sharing. And the conversation today has been amazing. I really appreciate your time in going through so many different topics and themes and looking forward to hearing from you more at the Winter Summit on the 24th of June. And people can check out the show notes and the website for details about that, as well as everything that we've talked about, the resources and information about ScalaMed uh, on the Talking Health Tech website and within the show notes of this episode. So Tal, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining.
1: Pete, thank you so much. Thanks for the time. Thank you, everyone.